0: Welcome back to QAV, or if it's your first time, welcome to the QAV podcast. Now, this is a podcast where we talk about investing, but occasionally we have guests on. Well, actually, almost every week we have a guest on one of our episodes. This week, our guest is Cameron Williams, sports editor on Channel 9, uh, Today's show, and the the 6 o'clock news. Uh, Cam's been a listener of the show for the last 12 months, and uh, we're excited to have him on. But before we get into investing with Cam, of course, because he is who he is, we're going to talk about a little bit of sport. So uh, if you're not interested in the sport, skip forward 10 minutes and get into the uh, investing side of things. But if you're interested in what it means to be the sports editor at Channel 9 or to hear us talk about the recent Mike Tyson fight or the time that Cam met Mike Tyson and Muhammad Ali, then you might want to listen to the whole thing. Here it is, Cameron Williams.
1: G'day, mate. Can you hear me?
0: I can. How Good. are
1: you? Oh, well. I'm well. ATK. Hi. Hello. Hi,
2: Cameron. How are you?
1: I'm really well, mate. Uh, have you uh, been enjoying the punt lately? Oh,
2: I'm enjoying it. Uh, it's not very profitable, but it's still fun.
1: <laughs> I, look, I backed uh, three ood on Saturday. He's oh. and um, and still lost on the day. So I know <laughs> how you feel.
2: I had a similar one. I backed Grandview Terrace at 10 to 1 and still lost about a hundred bucks, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and out. I have no idea what either of you are talking about, but I did in preparation and research for this get up early this morning and watch the Tyson fight. I thought uh that's what we'd be talking about.
1: Yeah. Oh, did you? You, you recorded. It. it was on yesterday. Yeah.
0: I watched a rec- I watched a YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, what did you think? Um
0: uh, I, I'm, I'm glad it wasn't me in the ring with Tyson. That's all. <laughs> I mean, he might be 54 and slow, but Jesus, when he threw punches, I felt it, man, just even watching it.
1: Both of them have still got some hand speed and, uh, you know, clearly no investment, no no interest in hurting each other. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, Google um, some street stuff of Tyson shadow boxing for fans. It's, really? Awesomely scary, awesomely
0: scary. <laughs> yeah. Man, can, even the speed, I expected him to punch hard, but a, a few times, even in like round three or four, he just came out a few times and there was just this flurry of fists going and I was like, holy shit, that's yeah. terrifying.
1: Yes, yeah, well, I, I um, had the, the great fortune of, uh, of going to cover his unification fights and uh, and met Muhammad Ali, which was like the biggest oh. thing in my life at that time, and still is the oh. only autograph I've ever asked for, I think. But I I met a girl there who was the the, the sister of a guy sparring with Tyson, and she got me up into his room at, at the MGM, and uh, I yeah had a an interview that went kind of around the world with him, where where he said for the first time, I'm sure he said it since, that he used to. Because, um, you know, Cuth doesn't treat me like a person and, you know, that I'm only 19 and he said, you're so young, how did you get this job? I'm sounding more like Michael Jackson. But, uh, he, um, so but he, had, he, he had this strange lisp and he sounded so young, you know, he was, he was 19. Um, but he admitted then that he pulls on a ski mask and goes down to Brownsville and mugs people because it makes him feel centred. So wow. he was a heavyweight champion of the world saying that he goes back home and mugs people and anonymously just because that's, that, that feels normal. Wow. Holy shit. So when was that? That was 1987, March of 1987.
0: Holy shit. How old were you? Uh, 24. Wow. That must've been mind blowing.
1: Oh, it really was. It really was. And to see the, the world that they live in and, And, you know, I've seen other examples of it since, but I'd never been to America before, so I hadn't seen all of these great stars and the way they're they're treated. Um, Mm, But mm. he he was just the fat pig that they kept feeding, nurturing, protecting, guarding. It was, it's no way to live. Really? It's funny, he, he keeps saying he feels like he's lucky to be alive. I think he was completely depressed through most of his life. And you got to meet Ali, you said? Yes, I did. Uh, he, uh, it was such a great trip because uh, Crocodile Dundee was pretty fresh in people's minds over there and uh, a fellow heard me checking in at the hotel and he had the big Stetson on and uh, the full cowboy, you know, rhinestone cowboy Glen Campbell look and he had a, a, a framed, signed Muhammad Ali photograph um, with, with gloves and stuff that went with it. And he said, do you want to make some money? And I, I'm immediately suspicious. And he said, just talk to me the way you talk normally. So, of course, I was bunging on a real Australian <laughs> accent made, a bit of rhyming slang, never did anybody any harm. And we just had this conversation and people gathered round. And he sold that thing for over 12,000 US in about 10 minutes with a big crowd around us. Just someone came in and paid cash for it. So he slung me a couple of hundred bucks. And, you know, that was the start of it all. That's when I met this girl called Desiree, who was um, Tyson's sparring partner's
0: sister. I'm glad I'm not the only one who does that. Whenever I go over to the US to hang out with Chrissy's family, I'm always putting it on like that, mate. Yeah, the accent gets really... She goes, oh, will you just stop that? You're embarrassing me. <laughs> like, no, no, they think- love it over here. <laughs> well, they do.
1: They do. I don't think it carries as much uh, cachet as it used to um, but Hoax did us all a favour for about 10 years.
0: Yeah, well, I yeah. scored an American wife out of it, so I'm, I'm grateful. Yeah.
1: yeah, I know. She probably thinks you're some frontiersman still.
0: Mm. Still, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, just, I'm getting back into it one of
2: these days. We're in America around that same time and people would walk up and say, God I. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Pardon? What? <laughs> 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 talking, talking to me. What
1: was yeah. that? <laughs> God I, mate.
0: God I, mate. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Well, welcome to the QAV show, Cameron Williams. Um, how is your Monday morning been going? You're uh, back at home already. You've done your stint for the day or do you have to go back in?
1: Uh, no, I have to go back in. Uh, and I, the last hour or so has left me a bit sweaty because I couldn't find our damned, um, uh, what's it called, the Elf on a Shelf. Which you don't have for young enough kids, but the Elf on the Shelf reappears on the first of December every year, and then disappears after Christmas, and he's in a different position every time that they wake up, the kids wake up, and I thought well, I'd lost Cookie, the Elf on the Shelf.
0: <laughs> I found it, but it was found. Well, that's it's, good. Uh, Christmas is. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the, uh, like the VHS of the Will Ferrell film or something. Why don't we, like, uh, we'll get into investing and money stuff, but um, let's uh, give people your, your background story, because most people probably haven't heard it, I suspect. You grew up uh, not far from where I grew up, right? Uh, country Queensland.
1: That's exactly right. Emerald in, the cent- in central Queensland. Um, which these days is a is a orcharding area because they've got a, a very big dam there and a regular really? water supply. But um, wow. my father was there building that. He was an engineer on the on the roadworks and the bridges approaching uh, Fairburn Dam, as it was called then. And um, I, uh, wow. you know, I guess I'm a product of that kind of youth. I like horses. I like outdoors. Um, and I uh, moved not long after I was born to Rockhampton, which is just another big central, bigger central Queensland town. And there I discovered the, the, the coast and swimming and stuff like that. Um, but I, I, I always graduated towards communication type studies and communication type areas of my life uh, have developed in, in a business sense. Cause I started at the Courier Mail as a cadet, writing for them and quickly realized that I wanted to write about sport uh, that led to a job at The Australian in Melbourne, that led to television jobs in Sydney predominantly and now I'm the sports editor at Channel 9 and we've just completed a big move from uh, the original home of TV in Australia, 1956 was in Willoughby and uh, we've just left those Willoughby studios behind which is a bit sad but we're now at a, Brand new digs in in One Denison Street, North Sydney, and that's that's uh, got its teething problems, but it's a great building, and we're enjoying being there.
2: Yeah, I've been to the Globey Studios and to Emerald. I was working there in uh, uh, the nineties. I think we were into. I was there trying to to uh, help our fuel distributor. I was working for Shell, and it was year four of a five year drought. So um, I hope the Fairbairn Dam has, has turned things around because it was tough making money in a the tail
1: end of a drought after four years when it gets dry out there tony it gets just mm. cruelly dry and uh, the, the river that goes through town is called the Nagoa, and it's mainly usually a no-goer because it's <laughs> often very dry and um and the the shell rep in in town in, in emerald in you know in the 60s i was born in 1963 was a guy called georgie pole and i'll never forget him because uh, he he had a thumb amputated in a machinery accident but my mum and dad told me that he sucked his thumb when he was a boy. So <laughs> shell and uh, and and uh, you know um, what do you call it? Uh, I guess um, uh, d- deterrence for children are, are interlinked for me. So nice town though. Our phone number out there was three six zero. So small yeah. place, yeah. um, but uh, it it um, it was a great place to grow up. Lots of space. You could have a horse. You could have you know, keep birds and things. Uh, mm. People were, were good. You could go to anyone's door. It was a, a great place to grow. You yeah. still got family there? No, no, we all moved. Um, uh, my mum, we, we moved to Rockhampton first of all and then to Brisbane. And uh, my dad died uh, this time last year. But my mum is still in Brisbane and she's got a, a lovely house in Kangaroo Point on the river there. And she's she's um, she's really, she's the start of my investment career because right from the first time I earned a dollar, she said, you've got to start investing this in property. And I've always been a bit of a share naysayer up until recently. And Tony, you're the bloke who convinced me otherwise. And I've always treated my property investments as investments and the share market as a kind of gambling den. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's only now that I've realized how, um, how, how much easier it is to to keep yourself organised in the share market and manage your portfolio of shares and still get growth and dividends, uh, it's just that you know do what you trust. I trusted bricks and mortar, and you know it's done reasonably well for me. But I've I've got rid of some of those investments to go heavily into the share market these days.
2: Yeah, good, good for you. It's but it's a good perspective to bring to share market investing. I think if you've had that property experience, because you know, as you know you can't check the price of a house every day. You can't can't sell it tomorrow if you. Don't like it, and you can't buy it back the day after. So that's a good, I think that's a good, uh, really good training ground and perspective to bring to the share market
1: too. Yes, and there's lots of traps and pitfalls, and it's uh, more difficult to manage at arm's length than you might expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't regret any of it because over time, you know, if you're patient in the property market and you're not, you know, buying silly investments like at Rabina at the Gold Coast where I did. <laughs> To buy one place, but uh <laughs> it, 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 generally they've, they've they've been you know slow yeah. producers and I, I guess it's been my forced method of saving i've always been a bloke uh who on one hand I do like gambling on the horses like you do i've got a gambling streak, but I like to know that I own the bricks that I live in i'd rather have the bricks than the furniture, and uh you know <laughs> did sleep on the floor a lot as a as a young worker but uh, there's nothing wrong with that um, no. rewards later you you don't think you'll ever get old when you start out but it happens soon enough yeah
2: yeah I'm the same you know we, we owned a I owned an investment property with a mate to start off with and I remember going in there after work completely buggered putting up trestles painting the inside of the house until one or two in the morning packing it all up again and going back to the bed for a few hours on the floor and then going into work so
1: yeah I can I can relate to that. Yeah. It's, it's hard work, but good training, good training. And um, you know, I I certainly had no specific um, skills that I, you know, I I wasn't always going to be a doctor or a pilot or a bricklayer. I didn't have any specific training. So um, I always knew that I was going to have to be careful early on with whatever money I had and it's been productive. So uh, I, you know, I, I love that about your method that day that you explained compounding interest and uh, the savings that you can make by going to a public school rather than a private school, it it, it cemented my belief <laughs> that QAV and and your way to go is the way to go. I, I've I've told this to Cambo already, but my my primary driver for being involved with you guys is to is that so that I can teach the method to my children mm-hmm. and to to manage what wealth I've I've got in an easy fairly as hands on as you want it to be, but it's a it's a low risk low input method of making sure that you're getting a good return for for your savings or your investments and you know uh, I, I got lucky um, uh, a year or so ago well, can I tell you a quick investing story please please I, I i over I overheard a conversation on a plane from Perth to sydney and uh, and I heard this fellow one of the things that cut through the conversation because I was trying to sleep. He said he'd just sold his gold mine and that he was going to take a, a, a year off and travel the world and find out what his new investment was going to be. And I thought, God, I'd like to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've just sold my gold mine. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I, I listened in more carefully and, uh, and, and just got, the, you know, whatever snatches of it, the conversation that I could. And I noticed that he had a bit of a, a, a speech habit of saying new instead, uh, saying new instead of new. But he was an Australian guy and I thought that was a bit unusual. I wonder where he picked that up. I thought he must have lived in America or something. Anyway, must be two years later, about 2010 or 2011, I heard a guy speaking on the radio about graphite. I mm-hmm. had no interest in graphite, but he kept saying, he was an Australian guy, kept saying new. So I worked out this guy was a fellow called Mark Thompson and then he'd sold a, a, a gold mine and he'd travelled the world and he decided that he was going to buy at, a very cheap price a graphite resource in Sweden and to cut the long story short it's called Talga Group they've firmed up um, a very very high grade graphite and graphene resource they have partnered with Oxford University Germany Sweden they've got um, low very very green low cost power from Sweden They've got uh, factories being built in Germany with, with German and money. They won the Faraday challenge and they build the anodes for batteries and they own the resource. They own the IP for how to turn that into an anode. They own all of these um, very high, uh, substantially difficult things to um, to copy. There's the moat that you talk about mm-hmm. um, and Slowly, the market's picking it up. So I'm in at an average of about twenty-seven, twenty-eight cents, and uh, and they're now up to over two dollars. So oh, this, this is my Facebook, and and it's 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 been a winner for me. But I haven't sold any. When I do sell some, Tony, everything I've got is going to be invested QAV forever because <laughs> that's the way to stay safe.
2: Mm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's that's really. Nice to know. And good luck with the graphing. I know graphite went through a bit of a boom and then a bust probably in the last sort of three or four years. Um, there's lots of new mines coming on, but it's turning around a bit now, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's not a graphite play. It's an anode producer. Right, product. okay. yep. They own their own resource and it's high quality and it mm-hmm. requires a lot less um, uh, input chemically and in terms of heat to transform it into the product they need. Mm-hmm. So all the big batch, uh, manufacturers like CAtl, they 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 spend um, you know hundreds and hundreds of kilowatts of energy producing their anode material. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is green. It's uh, European has legislated supply chains that have to be green. They have to be sourced from Europe. Uh, they're the first mover and really the only ones that are in this position so far. They've had connections, with, we believe, with Tesla and uh, you know. It, that's that's my, that's my punt. Yeah, good. Um, You've got to believe in something. Yeah, following a tip, hey? Or your own tip, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, I stumbled on it myself. But because I was very interested in him, and I know you're not into the charisma of these guys because they are all salesmen, but he was, he was not selling anything to anyone. He was just mm. speaking about what he wanted to do. And he's a, he obviously had a high-grade brain. And I just thought that I'd learn as much about him and his company as I could. And I've just kept adding to it.
2: Yeah, that's good. You reminded me, uh, Cam, of a of just a, I, I guess um, a play that I've done before in the past. If you, you can find people who've done successfully out of one mine and they'll sell out and they'll pop up in another mine, and it's early stages and it'll be cheap and it's not it's worthwhile following them, um, in some yeah, a lot of instances. I mean, Froogie Forrest at Aurus Key Metals that wasn't his first um, investment. Uh, a guy called Kerry Ham I think his name was. Uh, with, with a company called Jubilee Mines, was a, uh, one, of, one of my best investments in the past. And uh, he's now popped up in some other things. So, yeah, it's, you know, you're following the money. These guys are really good at what they do. And when they come back, it can be a good investment.
1: Chris Ellison's another one with mineral resources. Right, he? yeah. But you're our charismatic guy. Um, no, you know, not. <laughs> I went to that, uh, <laughs> that dinner that we had uh, in the cross, the first one. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that Credit Corp had, mm-hmm. which was taking a bath at the time because of COVID, uh, had done that before, and that you had snapped it up before. So I, I I tucked away a bit of that without without applying the QAV principles, just applying the I believe in Tony Kynaston principle, <laughs> and that, that's done well.
2: Yeah, it's been good. I bought some too. Yeah, yeah, it's a good company. Oh, well, that's great. So getting back to your kids, how old are your kids?
1: Uh, Aki is twelve, going on twelve, and Remy is eight. So, okay. I, I I have I, I failed to get them completely interested in money and what it, where it comes from and how difficult it is to make yet. But this is the year that I've um, I've I've bought them a, a little ETF. Mm-hmm. Their savings uh, were enough to justify buying. Um, uh, an ETF. We decided that we were going to invest in Asia as a, an emerging mm-hmm. um, collection of nations. And there's an ETF called IEM. And they're, they're up 15% on their money.
2: Good. So, and they understand what that means? No,
1: no. Yeah, okay. It's completely unreal to them. <laughs> it, it's just numbers, it doesn't mean anything to them. But I, I, I am starting to get them to think of companies as businesses. Yep. And uh, and to to tell me why they like products, you know, they like Apple products. Um, they like the, the iPad that they play with. And I said, what do you like about it? And what don't you like about other iPads? And would you buy from this company and not that company? So they're starting to think about companies as living organisms that, yep. that you can own a chunk of.
2: Oh, that's a great way of doing it. And your oldest might be getting close to job employment age too, which is a, another big step, I think, get them a job.
1: Yeah. look, value of money. Yeah. You know, that kind of McDonald's experience, I think yeah. is invaluable. And, uh, you know, it's just interesting. I think that, um, I, I think, Cam, you've been very successful in bringing out the entrepreneur and your kids. And it's just, um, it's just a matter of, you know, because I, I, young kids come to me all the time and say, how can I get into, you know, a position in television? Where's it all going? And, the, the honest answer is I, it's changing very quickly. I don't know where it's all going, but I just tell them if you've got a belief in, you know, being able to communicate, you'll always be employed. But, I, I, you know, I, my trouble is I can't imagine where that next thing is or I, I, I'd go and do it. But these kids, that if you teach them that, um, that being the innovator and being the ideas maker is i think that's more interesting than going down the traditional i'm going to be a lawyer i'm going to be a dentist um I, i'm going to make things happen i think is a great uh, germ to try and instill in the kids and i'm i'm hoping that they're getting some of that
2: i remember when my daughter was a senior in toronto and i'd chat to her friends and occasionally the class and and talk about what they were going to do and they sort of wanted to go to university didn't know what they wanted to do you know were following in their parents footsteps etc cetera, etc cetera. and i said well you know why don't you think about bypassing university get a good idea and start it and start up something and you know you've got enough rich friends here that can invest in with you and pass on you know their knowledge to you and that was kind of like mind blowing for most of the kids no one no one did it but I think that's I think you're right that's got to be installed into the kids somehow get get out there hustling
1: yeah the the life you know the the way that we're going to live and the way we're going to make our money in the future i think. Is, is changing pretty rapidly. There'll be some constants, but um, I think people who are adept and don't get locked into that, I've got to work for this company for the rest of my life mentality, are going to be doing better.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it's different these days. I think there seems, with low interest rates maybe, but there seems to be a lot more money out there for people starting up ventures, mm. just in general. That's that's my sort of, uh, you know, sort of um, statist- statistical analysis involving a sample of one. But... But also, too, I think uh, if I look back on my career, I mean, I, when I was at uni, I was holding down five part-time jobs, just hustling from one thing to the next, trying to make money. And, and even though I walk, worked corporate for a long time, it was, you know, I, I, I had four or five offers on the go and, and negotiated, put one up against the other all the time until I got a good deal. And So, yeah, those kind of skills I think need to somehow get taught to kids at a young age, hustle and negotiate.
0: Yep, I agree. And I don't think the education system no. is really set up for that. So it comes from parents or friends and family. You know, I i think the only thing I've done for my boys is they've seen me out there having a go, failing most of the time, but out there having a crack. And, you know, I think they both went, well, if dad can do it, then we can probably do it better because he's an idiot and we're a lot smarter than he is.
1: But. <laughs> But of course, uh, you, you, the example you give, Cameron, is that uh, that you show that if you put the work in, you get the results, you've got to find something that you're prepared to work at. You know, the, the oh, ob-
0: in fact, I show that the opposite that you can work your ass off and still not get any results. <laughs> <laughs> <You're> <laughs> but the work right. is there. The work's there. Mm. I've been admiring your Instagram uh, photographs lately. I figured this was your new career trajectory. You're setting yourself up as a behind the scenes photographer very artistic your behind the scenes stuff at the show
1: oh thank you mate I'm look I'm just a hobbyist Uh, I I thought that it was worth recording some of the final moments over at Willoughby and uh, and, you know some great great characters have been through that building and uh, a lot of them still work there so I just wanted to capture some of the people that have been there for a long time some of the fresher faces as well And uh, and say goodbye to the old uh, asbestos-ridden joint. That
2: (laughs) (laughs) really, I mean, I've been there at least once, but it's um, it's it's what a TV station should look like. What you think it looks like before you go? It's got a big big aerial on top, big big antenna broadcasting aerial. Uh, Yeah, the receptions full of photos of the celebrities and. You go, you go inside, and there's all these studios that are big and open, and they move things around. Yeah, it's your classic old style, isn't it? It's not like you walk into somewhere today and it's a, a panel, like a desk with a couple of small cameras in front of it.
1: That's it. not it? Yeah, yeah and the, the cameras are robotic, mm. uh, the presenters are robotic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, but from the from externally, it just looks like any other office block. It's a beautiful building, by the way, but it 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 does look like a corporate block rather than. Uh, you know, a factory of dreams and magic. Like yeah, that. right.
0: Yeah. Before we before we get back to investing, I want to talk more about the sports uh, business. I remember when we first had that first dinner that you were at early this year. I don't remember when it was, but it was just as the Rona was starting to kick in and we were about to go into their first lockdown. So it was sort of February, March. Um. And, you know, I know you were saying then, well, shit, what am I going to do this year if there's no sport? What's actually, uh, what have you ended up doing uh, during the sport lockdown? How have you kept yourself busy? Well, for 10 weeks, there was no sport anywhere
1: in the world uh, other than horse racing. Horse racing didn't stop. And that's a great tribute to Peter Volandis, who Mm. has worked miracles through these tough times. Uh, but who's who's that oh sorry Peter Volandis is the chairman of the uh, of the National Rugby League or the Australian uh, Rugby League Commission Uh, he's also the boss of Racing New South Wales and um, he he's a can-do kind of guy and you know he he can be a bit abrupt but he's very clever very very clever and very determined he kept horse racing going he just took the steps that had to be taken put the jockeys in a bubble He isolated He he kept, um, you know, all the right PPE gear around. Um, He kicked all the punters off course and he just ran it in a bubble. And then he ran rugby league in a bubble when they said they couldn't do it. And by the end of, well, not by the end of it, but within a few weeks, the NFL was ringing him and saying, Peter, how did you do this? And, you know, they've been less successful because they can't keep their $200 million players in bubbles. They just (laughs) won't do it. Whereas uh, we were more... Uh, I I think, disciplined at at realising that we needed a team approach to keep things going. But for 10 weeks, we had very little stuff to talk about except when will Rugby League be back? When will, you know, all of the other sports, the AFL, the tennis, the cricket, when will they all be back? And for 10 weeks, thankfully, we made it interesting and what we did find uh, was one of the benefits was because people were accepting lower quality uh, video output like the Zoom meeting we're on, and... We, we, could, we could just quickly speak to you know, a manly or a Bulldogs football player. And because they were at home instead of a, in front of their teammates, they, they often gave us more in-depth answers and more considered answers, and we saw a more emotional and more sensitive side of, of their responses. So I think, I think that part of it was really beneficial. But it's become a lot easier now that we've got real sport to talk about.
2: I heard uh, someone who worked for Peter Vellante's interview and they said, you know, how did they do it? How did they get racing to continue? And how did they get the NRL to continue? Belatedly. And this person said, well, Peter always starts from the point of view of what does success look like? And then that you work back from there. And I think that's a really, really good life lesson. You know, if you're in business, in any sort of endeavour really, what does success look like?
1: Yeah. Define and,
2: that and then work back from there.
1: And he's fearless. Yeah. Um, mm. He may have fears, but he never exhibits them. And you know what? I think he's quick to adapt too. When he knows he's wrong, he, he will acknowledge that. He'll give you your point and then, then he'll work with that. He's, he's, not, he's not just a crash through type of guy because those guys eventually hit a wall that they can't break.
2: And no one will work for them either.
1: Yeah. That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah, and no, I've I found the whole uh, Zoom interview thing with the, with the late night shows um, where they've been interviewing celebrities just at home actually far more interesting and engaging. It's less fake. seems to be more real. I actually wonder how that's going to change things moving forwards as they, I mean, I think the US is a long way from getting back to normal, but uh, they are back in the studio, I think some of them, but how do you think it's going to have, like in terms of long-term impact for what you do, has there been any positives come out of this that will change how you approach your job next year?
1: Uh, look, I, I, I think the major benefit is that people are more accepting of lower quality material in terms of, you know, technical lower quality material. That, that's a good thing because it makes us very flexible. It means that we don't have to spend as much money as we used to to get stuff done. But, you know, when it comes to actual broadcasting of live sports, you, you want that in your 4K HD, you know, you want the best experience you can for that. So I I think all those advancements are going to keep going. But I I think it's still a little too early to tell if Zoom is going to be the be-all and end-all into the future because I I don't really buy into this uh, empty city sort of philosophy that people won't want to come back into town and they'll all do their work from home. Uh, I think that'll drive most people nuts eventually. Um, If you're a solitary person or comfortable in your own you know, quiet environment, that works brilliantly for you. But I think a lot of people are more herd animal, more gregarious. They need the excitement. You know, we, we've just moved into an open plan office, which I was dreading, not not because I wanted my privacy so much, but I just didn't want to hear what everyone else was saying, or their conversations and stuff. But I found it to be so much more social and fun than I thought. It's energising to be in those spaces. Um, you But you do need a hidey hole every now and then. So I think, you know, once again, sample of one, Tony, I think that, uh, you know, maybe the cities won't be as busy, the office blocks won't be as busy as before, they might be repurposed in some way, but I think people will still want to come back and rub shoulders when when they can, when it's safe and they feel comfortable again.
0: I was hoping you were going to tell me that our big plan for you and Tony in an Apollo tourism (laughs) van driving around the country was uh, the next step in the progression.
1: Mate, you kid, that's a hair shirt for you and for everybody looking <laughs> Apollo. Um, I, I did make a list of of shares that I've been in and out of since I discovered QAV, and uh, CIA's at the top. That's a that's a success story. Yeah, it's good. But, but Apollo was the next one that I got, and. Um, you know, I stopped going in and out, in and out. I just stayed in it for too long. And but you know what? It's coming back. I believe in Apollo. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: you're the only one who does.
2: <laughs> I was in, in Sydney CBD just before I came onto this call, and it, to me, it seems as busy as it always has been. And uh, I, you know, I think I think there'll be less people working in there because I think some people, you know, have have worked out. They like being at home. Yeah, I think human nature plays a part. And I think if I, if I was one of 10 direct reports and the boss was in the city and two or three of them started to go in to work with the boss and uh, started to get a bit of a leg up because of that, yeah. the other seven would be in there straight away. So I think that will kind of drive people back to the city as well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, uh, when you do your Zoom meetings and you've got the panel up there, you can't see who's off to the side and what the body language is. Mm. And you can't read the subtleties of the room, mm. uh, and I think that when you're making important decisions about companies and about your own careers, and you want you, you want to be convinced that you've got a good handle on things, I, I think face to face is the is the way to go. Yeah, I agree.
0: So back to investing, then, Cam. What, uh, how did you discover QAV? Can you remember and why? What were what were you looking for at the time? Okay,
1: well. Uh, Every year in January, except next January, I, uh, I go to the Australian Open and I, it's, it's two weeks locked in a hotel room, you know, when I'm in my downtime. It's a time of reflection. Uh, I, I go down the road, I always stay at the same place, I go down the road and I buy my new undies and t-shirts for the year. Um, it's very interesting. But basically, I, I do reassess, you know, it's that period after Christmas. I'm by myself, don't have the kids running around. And I, I do reassess what, what, what my targets are for the year. So I sit there on my new T-shirts and undies. And and this year I got um, AirPods. So I needed to listen to podcasts because I had AirPods. And I found a murder mystery one that was quite good. And somewhere in the mix there, I saw this thing about how to buy shares at quality and value. and. I uh, I listened to you. I thought you were kind of acerbic and funny, and you know I've changed my mind about that. Which one I thought Tony. I thought Tony sounded like uh, I, I kept waiting for Tony to tell me what it, what he wanted from me because I, I thought he, he why you know I, I'm a cynical bugger. I, I thought what why is he doing this? And mm-hmm. as soon as I told my wife about it, she said, "Well, what's he want? What's what's mm-hmm. he selling?" I said, "Honestly, just listen to the guy." And you know what the truth. It, that comes out from listening to you guys, um, is, is pretty apparent. You know, not only have to listen to a couple of episodes to realize that Tony doesn't give a rats if you listen or not. Um, he doesn't give a rats if you follow him or not. And it, he doesn't care what he says to people. I enjoy his interviews with, with other people that are peddling various products or ideas because in, in essence, uh, you boil most of them down and it's, it, 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 it it's nothing. It's just an idea, and they can't explain their own ideas very frequently. Whereas Tony can explain his, and I I like the simplicity of it. And I I, I did believe in it as a kind of, you know, uh, as the 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 Ten Commandments, but we've we've got about thirty commandments now. (laughs) (laughs) But I like that too. It's flexible. You know, I I could go on and on. I think think it's a very convincing way to um, to not just grow wealth, but to manage wealth in a low risk, low import kind of way.
0: Well, the big takeaway for me from that is that uh, celebrities uh, buy new undies once a year. I mean, I, I run mine down until, you know, there's no threads left in them and they've fallen down. And even then, I find it hard to give them up. So one day, that's my, that's, that's on my bucket list now is to buy new undies every year.
1: Wait, I do a lot of live TV, so you've got to keep your undies fresh. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, uh, that's good. That's, um, yeah. you know, I think um, what you, what you um, highlighted there is, is the big challenge with a lot of this. I think um, when I when I, when I run Facebook advertising, promoting this, it's a, always fun for me, the number of people that jump on the, the Facebook ad and go, it's a crock of shit he's he's it's uh bullshit and i'm like dude have you even <laughs> have yeah. you even listened to it before What's you that? <laughs> assume that like <laughs> well I, I but i understand it because most Ooh. people trying to peddle financial advice out there probably are full of shit and um yeah it's how we differentiate i, I, I had a great idea
1: of i don't know how you go with facebook and they, they would be listening so don't say anything nasty but I, I decided years ago and um, and there is a company called points bet that has managed to achieve what I set out to achieve I, I thought that the way into the uh, the freeing up of the American betting market which from about three or four years ago looked inevitable I thought I'm going to uh, I'm going to start up a podcast not a podcast actually but a Facebook page uh, a an NFL spoof page you know a funny page about NFL um characters and games and personalities and once i had you know a million eyeballs i would sell that information to a uh, an american bookmaker and take the trailing commissions from that because it's a very successful model here but too late to get into so i thought okay you know the the, the domino started to drop over there as far as um, legislation with bookmaking was concerned sports betting uh, but and we did get quite a few you know, uh, followers, but at one point Facebook just shut us down because of the, the whole fake news thing became, um, important to them. And we were clearly stating that our news was fake and that it was, you know, a comedy page. It was a spoof. It was stated everywhere. Um, but they, they don't, they don't reinstate, they don't listen. They don't reinstate. Whoa. We tried to set it up with different credit cards and different, um, what do you call it? Uh, different IPs and everything. They knew who we were straight away. It's incredible. Incredible. They so. shut
0: down my Facebook advertising for QAV a few months ago, sort of leading up to the US election. And the reason for it, they said, was we were peddling something that was fraudulent. Yeah. And I responded and appealed and said, we're just advertising a podcast nothing like no no <laughs> no discussion no right of reply it's just no. Nah, you, you know they don't give a shit it's, they, they, it's you know frustrating
1: what? there's got to be a better facebook out there because I, I know they've got that incredible first mover advantage but it's such a clumsy thing to use i hate it i hate facebook I don't right want right. you poking me and sending me <laughs> media minded.
0: Well, to me, it's a failure of capitalism that there hasn't been a replacement. Facebook has been a disaster in many ways for well over a decade. A lot of people hate it. A lot of people complain about it. Where's the competitor that capitalism is supposed to provide us when there's uh, an opportunity for a superior service? It's just not there because. Facebook's got the thing stitched up and I think there's too many venture capitalists with too much money tied up in it. They don't want to support a competitive product.
1: Yeah. yeah. A guy that seems to know, he says that if you, if you spend a certain amount of money on Facebook advertising for your company, that you can consistently make a return of 2% or something. So if you spend, you know, if you spend a hundred million dollars on Facebook advertising, you'll get 2% of that back as a profit um, because it's just such a great engine. And it just, spins off money well maybe that's true but uh it just doesn't it, it, it's got nothing about it that that, that is useful friendly or, or or even just simple and easy to operate i i, I find the whole thing really headache inducing juicy <laughs> that's just and
0: getting back getting back to sports reporting um, i think the big winner out of the tyson fight was snoop dogg <laughs> he still got it hey he was great he was great. I mean, uh, are you going to bring a little bit of snoot to your uh, commentary from now on? Are you going to well, uh, smoke, well, smoke up a little bit before you go on air?
1: I think that would be fantastic. He, um, <laughs> he, he, he's got those menu log things happening. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought that the fact that he was doing that was a sign that it was all, all over for the dog. But um, he was great yesterday.
0: He was the best but- thing in the whole deal.
1: I, I don't know that it was great for boxing, um, the whole affair. I mean, they made a couple of $10 million each, uh, allegedly, so they benefited. But I, I sat through it waiting for something to happen. Glimpses of, glimpses of the old guys there. I suppose there's money to be made in putting on these circus shows.
0: Well, I think part of it was the Jake Paul fight. Um, for people who don't follow Jake Paul or fighting, neither of which I follow really, but my kids are a big Jake Paul not sure, fans, but they, they're aware of him, big YouTube star. Um, and that seems to be a big thing. I think he was fighting a former NBA star. So this thing about people moving from social media to boxing is becoming big. And I think that's the next step for you and I, Tony, is <laughs> we're going to put on a demonstration boxing match, you and well, I. Fighting. Yeah. You <laughs> should do it on a park bench. <laughs> <laughs> see, i think i could probably take you although you've got some height and some reach on me i think i could probably i'd be too scared to to hit you would, would be the thing because uh, you're the also you know you're the guru so i think you know it'll be interesting to see how the odds would come down on that one
1: yeah i think you'd probably get the odds <laughs> until i worked hand out hand. that i
0: don't actually want to hit you yeah and then you know
1: <laughs> yeah that's right i'll frame a market real quick that right? you're mm. Tony's 100 to one on to win because well, you, you don't want you don't want anything to happen to Tony. Yeah.
0: So the next time we come to Sydney to do, well, Tony's in Sydney, you're in Sydney, when I come to Sydney to do our Sydney event, instead of dinner, yeah, we'll let's to- do that. We'll do a boxing match and you can you can commentate, promote it, market it, and we'll all we'll share the share the takings of three of us. Sure. Let's do that.
2: And and one of us will lay down when we know which which side of the betting the money's for. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, so let's wrap up with some investing wisdom from you, mm. Cambo. Um, what, have, what have you learned over the last uh, year or two in your own investing? What, is there any, any uh, pros or cons that you want to highlight
1: for us? Uh, look, my dad was not a big investor, but he said, um, he said early on you want to become friendly with a good accountant and a good lawyer because those are the people that will help you make good decisions through the rest of your life. Um, I've managed to do that. And I, and I think that was excellent advice. And, uh, when I switched accountants, you know, in my mid late thirties, um, the quality of my advice got even better. And I think that was, that, you know, I think that, um, thinking you can do everything yourself is, is not clever. Um, I, I also think that you have to be patient, uh, particularly since, you know, all of my investments early on were in property and you don't see quick returns for them. You, you just have to think of it as a, uh, a slow method of saving, which will escalate, uh, accelerate as time goes by. But, um, but when it comes to the share market, I was slow to realise the benefits of the share market, really, really slow. And I, I thank you guys for that. Um, because I, I've just lucked onto to a couple of shares in my life. I've lost a lot of money just punting on shares. Um, and you know, those are capital losses carried forward, so you, you can pick it up on the hurdy-gurdy. But I, I, I would say the thing is, get good advice, be patient, and you know, only trust your instincts to a certain extent, that you have to really trust the quality of the people around you. Because if, unless you're an expert at it yourself, you know you you've got to spend the money and the and the time on developing the relationships to to get that expertise around you.
2: yeah, I agree. what about what about the show? any any suggestions for changes? What do you like? what don't you like?
1: Uh, look I, I um my irritation with this show if I was watching this show would be that um we haven't been very specific about investing. Uh, I think that um, that so long as the overall tenure of the show is, is pretty hardcore about its investing um and not assuming that everyone knows everything and and explaining in detail stuff that you're talking about um i i think you guys are on a, a long-term winner because you anyone who goes back to the start of the series and, and learns the method uh can can grow with you guys and you and you see it happening you, you know, we've, I've been with you for a year, but you can see the growth happening compared with the, you know, the index. And I, I, I think that the, the one thing that I struggle with is I'm no good at the spreadsheets. So I rely on updated spreadsheets to see where you guys are at. And I guess you know, having feel feeling like that, I I now grasp what your concept is. I, I reckon that a vast lot of the value that I get for spending my subscription is to get those spreadsheets.
2: Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's a good point. We're not, we're not trying to give tips, but um, hopefully it's a, that's a, and and the bio list is reasonably long, so you couldn't buy all of it. So hopefully it's a kicking off point for you to do your own investigation.
1: Well, and that's what you've ignited in me. And so it came, the the, the timing was good with COVID everyone had a bit more time Mm. and I've enjoyed investigating um, the shares that are on your list, and uh, you know, I, I I don't have to go broader than that list mm-hmm. to find something that I feel that I might be interested in. And if if it's not, if if there's no buy signal there with the three point line, I won't buy it. Um, and, and I'll go and look at another one. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily, you know, adopt everything that you're doing. It's mm-hmm. just an Good. excellent guide. Excellent guide.
2: Good. Well, thank you very much. Now, do you have any broadcasting tips for a novice podcaster like myself?
1: <laughs> mate, I'm, I'm just looking at my background here. I've got up my background game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, no, I, mate, I think you, the ultimate thing about broadcasting is, is be true to yourself.
2: And looking at your background, it's pretty good. you have the framed copy of the Winx jockey's jersey there.
1: Yes, that, that is a copy. Um, I'm good mates with Chris Waller. Oh, really? And uh, I I don't have it here with me, but I'm going to have it added to that thing. I, I just bought that at a charity night, but yep. um, I've got um, Winx's racing plate from the first Queen Elizabeth Stakes mm-hmm. she won. Wow. Obviously she had four plates on that day, but I've yeah. only got one. <laughs> you and, have any uh, horses with Chris? Yes, I have. Yeah. Um, only the one. Um, mm-hmm. He keeps telling me he's going to find me the one, but uh, it was, uh, he, he likes all these French imports and, uh, mm-hmm. I I did have a horse called studio with him that, uh, that had uh, four starts out here for for four wins. Uh, Mm Um, but it, it, um, it developed breathing problems. So he had to be retired, but if you've got time for one losing story, this is why I've given up all my horse investments until Chris finds the one. Um, and Guy Moldcaster will probably be the guy who does that for him. Uh, He's a great, um, selector of horse flesh, as you know, but, um, I, I had a horse in France, a share of it. My sister bought a share in a horse in an auction. The next day, the OTI, the, the mm-hmm. managers of the syndicate rang her and said, um, I'm sorry, that horse that you bought um, has expired overnight. It was dead when we sold it to you. Um, oh. it, it died in the paddock, right, during a storm. Uh, so, but what you know, you, we can give you your money back. Or uh, you, can take the, you can take a share in another horse, which we say is not as well-bred. Um, it's a two-year-old. It's an athletic type, but it's under-framed, and it's a, and it's a rig, which for Cambo's uh, convenience is that it's a, it, the, the horse's testicles hadn't dropped. So all in all, it seemed like a pretty useless horse. But, <laughs> but she, she kept that share in it because the, the money was for a charity. And uh, and it was called Prince Lottawig. And she asked me to watch its first race. And after its first race, very, very handy race in a, a midweek in France, I um, I rang up to OTI and said, can I buy a share in it? So I bought 10% as well. And uh, anyway, to cut a long story short, it used to have, uh, we win, they win against a horse called Waldgeist, which went on to win the Arc de Triomphe. And, uh, and, it, and it finished up being... Uh, it's last race in France was, uh, in the, uh, criterium de, uh, whatever it's called. Um, criteria. Uh, anyway, saint include criterium, saint include anyway, every horse in that race, every horse in that race, ours led them up for 200 meters on a heavy tan to, for, for 1800 meters in a 2000 meter race and finished sixth. Um, Waldgeist won the race, the horse that ran a long way last was Rekindling, which won the Melbourne Cup. The Caulfield Cup winner was in there as well. All of these, those horses have won either derbies or, um, or raced and won in America. Ours was the one that it, it went into its spell as the second favourite for the French derby and came out of the spell a, a timid, frightened horse. I'm going to I'm I'm go back one day with a little budget. And I'm going to do a, a, a little, just to satisfy my own curiosity, I'm going to do a, a documentary, Finding Prince Lodderwig, because <laughs> he got lost somewhere. You know, they sent him up to the bush or up into the forests of northern France for a spell, and he came back a different horse.
0: So,
1: the trials and tribulations of horse racing.
2: Absolutely, yeah. We have, our, we have most of our horses with David Hayes, or, or at least Ben and Tom Daviding now. Yeah, well, I did catch a sit next to Chris Waller on a flight back from Melbourne after Stakes Day last year. So we had a good chat about things. Yeah, and we might a, we might hook up at some
1: stage. He's a wonderful man, mm, very, very knowledgeable. story. yep, yeah. very good bloke. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, it's great, great to talk to you. Yeah, so,
0: thanks, Cameron.
1: Most of that out, at Cameron.
0: No, that was all good stuff, man. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your studio day. You got to go mm. back now.
1: Yes. Yes. Put the tie back on and uh, six o'clock news beckons. All right. Thanks.
0: Thanks for giving us some time. That was a
1: great story. Oh, thank yeah, you I very much. It. And uh, you've got a true believer here. Cameron, you are going to tell me what, um, where I rank in the first adapters to QAV.
0: I looked it up. You're uh, roughly number, number 60. Right. So okay. Not bad. Not bad. First century. In there. Yeah,
1: you should have some caps made up for the first century.
0: <laughs> okay, I'll get that. I'll get that organised before our next Sydney event. Thanks, mate.
1: <laughs> All right, mate. See you later, All guys. Right. Bye. Okay, bye.